Sure. All right, let's pray. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, your blessings. Thank you for um, God just allowing us to be here and have the freedom to be here. God, we're thankful for you, for your commitment, for your sacrifice. Uh, also, Lord, on this day, we're thankful for all those um, who made great sacrifice for us to be able to do this and be here. And so, God, I pray that we not waste the opportunity and that you would make much of this day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, good morning. I'm glad you're here soon, uh, very soon. Hopefully, uh, we're, we're closing in. We're still uh, maybe a month away or so uh, from going back to our building. And uh, that's, that's going very well. Uh, in that building, I heard a young man, very young man, uh, say something uh, that I wanted to address. Now, we've been talking about uh, the Exodus and how to leave seasons of life, and that's been very important for, uh, for everyone. I hope that you enjoyed uh, that series. We're starting something new. I'm not quite sure what I want to call it, but I, I've been waiting to do this, and I never wait uh, on, on a sermon, on a message. Uh, those are two kind of rules that I have for myself. I never preach to any person, and I never wait. If God has it on my heart, right, we, we, we do it. But uh, this one is, is a little different, uh, but a very young boy told me one time, he said, you know, you guys, um, and, and this was here in Ranger, he said, you know, you guys uh, really base everything, you base your whole life, and everybody follows the words to this book, and I'm not going to do something just because a book tells me to do it. I don't do all the stuff that other books tell me to do. And I thought, you know, that's fair. That's fair. And, uh, you know, he told me that he felt that way and he got that uh, information from his dad. And, and I just, I want to sort of address that uh, because this is a big part of my life, a big part of my story. And many of you may have questions about your faith and may have questions about the things even that we teach. And uh, that's okay. You don't have to, like, be in a closet about this question. It's okay to ask that. In fact, that's one of my favorite things about my faith. That's one of the, my favorite things about Christianity is in, in general is that we urge historians, archaeologists, to check us. Like, go ahead. We want you to. And so we are studying uh, something that has been scrutinized more than just about anything else, probably more than anything else. And, and we have a, a book. Now, I call this a book. I'm hard-pressed to do so because really it's a library. There's 66 books in here. And, and the scrutiny on this book comes from millions of people. Not just millions in history, every year. Millions of people. And it has stood the test of time, and it's absolutely incredible. So much so that we believe, and hopefully you do or you will, that there's something different about this. Maybe like the author is not even human <laughs> to be able to put this together. And there's no way I could get to the depths of that today. But I want to just address this notion because what the young man said, of course, I've heard many others say, and it's, it's a fair it's a fair question, it's a fair statement, uh, but we have some answers for that, okay? So first of all, in this, there's 66 books, but you guys know that it's all one story. 66 books telling one story, and that is that God comes to save you, right? And so Jesus comes, the hero, 
dies for the villain, and he comes for his glory and for your benefit. He loves us, right? And you say, you say that, but you only get it from here. That's actually not true. Did you know that before I ever open the pages of my Bible, I can get 65 facts about the death, burial, and resurrection from other historical sources? Okay? I can know at least 65 facts just about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus from other, we're going to call those extra-biblical sources, right? So it doesn't, I don't believe just completely blindly based upon this. In fact, much of what we believe is because of the product of the teachings of what happened in this Bible. For the first, let's say, 300 years of Christianity, most people never saw this, didn't have this at all. And so it was just those teachings that they were learning from others, producing change, the Holy Spirit working through their lives, that really made Christianity explode. Well, where was this all the while? <laughs> now this is where it gets cool. You have, let's let, just for simplicity's sake, and I'm going to say a lot of things, I'm going to oversimplify a lot of things today. I want you to write this down, I want you to take notes, I, I can give you a bibliography over all that we're doing today, so please do that. But um, let, let's just call them monks for simplicity's sake, okay, scribes, whatever. But they were meticulously copying this. It's really important, okay, because, uh, so let's say, Let's say in the New Testament we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so for most of these books, we just simply name them after who wrote them, okay? Paul's letters, we didn't name them after Paul because he has 13 of them, uh, maybe 14. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. And so we actually name them by the audience and not the author. But everything else, Matthew written by Matthew, John written by John, so on and so forth, right? Uh, but these books were all individual. They weren't bound together. You wouldn't go into a third century monastery and find one binding with all of these books. And so separate scrolls and fragments were taken. And, and let's, let's just call them monks would, would meticulously copy by hand all of these documents. So much so that uh, if, if the original document were ever distorted to the point where there was maybe a word was smeared to the point where it was, I, I can't tell what it is. I have to destroy that whole document so that it can never be manipulated, taken out of context, or inappropriately copied. This is the depths that they went through uh, to copy the Bible. And so for those first 300 years, that's what's ha that was what was happening to all of these pieces and scrolls of the Bible is they were being copied and being copied and being copied, and so we're going to call those manuscript copies, okay? Uh, we have an image. This is what one of these uh, will look like right here, okay? Uh, so actually, we still have tons of old fragments and if you want to work with the Bible for the rest of your life and never run out of work, you could be a classicist 
and you just need something like this and a microscope and you can go to Cambridge and you can read all of these things <laughs> and you can go, oh, this is a piece of the Bible. And we take all of these pieces and we match them to what we have and see if they match, okay? So all of these copies begin to go out and they would be copied and they would be copied. And so we really don't have the original document that John the Apostle wrote. So, I mean, I don't have the original. How could I know? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we really don't have the original of almost anything in antiquity, okay? Uh, And so the way that we find out if we have a good copy of an original is through those manuscript copies, okay? So... Let me, let me explain. Let me explain. If I start out with a document and it looks like this, and <clears throat> I say, okay, I'm going to copy this and copy this and copy this and copy this, and, and it beca- becomes uh, distorted over time, or one of these copies come back and, and now it says this. Now, I'm going to compare these, and if you know anything about these two words, <laughs> they are not the same. Okay? Hey, y'all have bragged on Dusty. i got to bring him back down. Okay? So, when, when it comes back, and it's different, I go, something is wrong. But what happens is, I find a copy, and I say, okay, this is a copy of the scroll of Let's use Isaiah. I'll tell you why in just a minute. I find a, sco- a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And then I travel to another country. Can I get another country to hold up what I have? Okay, there we go. There we go. And, ooh, do they match? Well, is anybody else? Then I go somewhere else. And, and, and then I go somewhere else. And then I go somewhere else. Are y'all looking? Everybody online is so confused right now. People are holding up the exact same thing. Okay, look at all of these things. Flash them around so that everybody can see them. And they are all identical. And so as I collect all of these things, I bring them together. And because they match, I go, this is an exact replica of the original. Now, I'm going to explain something. You can put those down. Thank you for those of you helping me there. Um, we have done this in the, in the 1950s. I believe it's actually in 1950. Um, in the 1950s, a very neat thing happened. There was a, a boy running around uh, near the Dead Sea, and uh, he was doing what boys do and throwing rocks. And he threw a rock up into a cave, a little bit of a cliff. You can actually find a picture of this if you want to look online. And he heard something shatter. Well, he was tending some goats, so he had to come back the following day. Uh, to see what he had heard shatter. And he, there was all of these clay vessels, these jars. And so they began to excavate and bring these things out. And we found what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. Because of the dryness, because of the temperature uh, of this area, they were almost perfectly preserved scrolls. One of the scrolls, which was an incredible find, was a full length scroll of the book of Isaiah, and and I didn't look this up this week, I should have. If I'm not mistaken, it's like 63 feet long. It's something crazy like that. But we have this perfectly preserved 
manuscript. And they are, they were at the time, now we've found older things, but they were the oldest known copies that we have. And so we checked that new copy that we found against all the old copies that we have, and guess what we found? It's exactly the same. And so what we have is for the New Testament alone, let me look through my notes and see if I can find this. Actually, if you will go find this MMS uh, comparison chart for me. Um, if, if you guys will look at this chart with me. Nope, that's not the one. That's not the one, I'm sorry. Yep, here we go. Uh, for the New Testament, you can see this MSS, we're going to call this manuscript copies. For the New Testament alone, we have over 24,000 copies that we've gathered together. And you need to understand that in all of them, they are 98% identical. Now, you say, oh, but they're not 100. Okay, okay. Let me give you, let me ju- give you just a classic example. King Solomon in the Old Testament had 800 horses. Or maybe he had 8,000 horses. We don't know because in Hebrew it's literally a dot that is the difference between 800 and 8,000. And so that now counts against our textual accuracy. It does not change a whole lot. We're still not quite sure how many horses Solomon had. 800 or 8,000. But I bet you've been on pins and needles all your life waiting to find out. These are the things, these are the things that we find out. We find other things like, like this, and I, I will admit this because skeptics will say this. Uh, there's a portion in the Bible where uh, d- people bring a prostitute and throw her at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, basically, you know, show mercy to this woman, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. You know this story? Did you know that we have this, like when the King James Version, which was written in 1611, the King James Version of the Bible, the year of our Lord, 1611, the King James was the 13th English translation of the Bible, for those of you who think it was the first. And it has this passage about this woman. And then when we got the Dead Sea Scrolls and we found older text, you know what it doesn't have? It doesn't have that passage. So did someone add it later? Or was it just not copied in the scrolls that we copied the King James Version out of? We don't know. We don't know. But every copy of these things that we find, we're finding to be incredibly accurate. We gather all these things up. Now listen, you went through history class and you see all these writings about Caesar. You know how many manuscript copies we have? Ten. Plato's writings, seven manuscript copies, okay? Uh, The only thing even remotely close and is head and shoulders above everything else is Homer's Iliad. Now, you go, oh, well, that just proves it because the Iliad, we don't believe that to be true because we don't believe in Zeus and Poseidon and all these things. No, but you don't question that it was written when everybody says it was written, and that's the point. Because just, just because, and I will give you this, just because we have 24,000 and growing, it is growing. We're finding things in archaeology all the time. And I say we just because it's really cool and I want to include myself in that. Uh, those are my brothers and sisters in Jesus. Keep going, yeah. Uh, we find stuff all the time. So this chart is actually a little bit old, so we have more than that now. But 24,000 manuscript copies that all come back and 
perfect match. And that's how we know we have a good copy of the original. Okay? So, I had to explain that part first. Because the, 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 the boy asked a good question. Why this book? Well, first of all, I needed to prove to you that it was well-preserved. And you say, yeah, but, Pastor, there's all kinds of books that are hidden that are not in there. There are all kinds of books that claim to need to be in there. But among scholars, there is very little debate about most all of these books. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make just a quick statement because I feel like I need to. Don't get offended. If you get offended, you haven't heard me out, okay? The Catholic Church has more books in here than 66. I do not think that those books belong in the Bible. Listen, those of you who grew up Catholic, you have Catholic family. That is the same religion, the same God. And they have had 2,000 years to get corruption, and we've only had 500 in Protestants. We are catching up with corruption, okay? So, uh, but as they added those books, a lot of times it was because they said something that was very necessary for the Catholic Church at the time that they added those books. Those are my friends. Those are my brothers and sisters. Many of them believe in Jesus. I do not agree with all the tenets of it. I do not listen to the Pope over any other human at all, but Catholics are my brother and sister. Their extra books that they have added do not fit what I'm about to show you, okay? So you say, well, how do you know which books go into the Bible? It's actually very simple, and there's very little dispute when you look at it. All right, now go to the uh, go to the canonicity. So the books that we add into our Bible, uh, we passed it. I think it was going to be number two. It's going to say canon. No, go back the other way. Uh, the books that we have selected, there you go. Uh, the books that we have selected, these 66 books, we're going to call those our canon, okay? Why? I have no idea, but it sounds cool. Uh, so our canon are these 66 books. What are the criteria? First, all the books have to meet one of these four things, and that's really it. And these are the only ones that do. Okay? They need to be written by an apostle or a close associate of an apostle. Okay? They need to be written by somebody that we know about so that we have a trustworthy name. They need to be related to the, uh, ap- I'm going to call it apostolic, dating to the first century. This is all New Testament canon, okay? They need to date to the first century. In other words, I don't want somebody to have written something last year talking about the life of Jesus and me put it in the Bible. <laughs> I want first hand. <laughs> the teachings need to be consistent with the already accepted canon, all right? So there are things that are without dispute. We know this. And so if I add a book that teaches something just completely opposite of what is already being taught in here, then it is now disqualified. And it had to be used and valued in all places that the church was established. The early church fathers had to have adapted and accepted it as well. Very simple. And these are the only ones that meet that criteria. Okay? So that's how we got our books. So are there others? Gospel of Mary Magdalene, Gospel of Thomas. Uh, there, there's actually quite a few. Gospel of this and this and this and this and this. They were all written hundreds of years after the person that they claimed to be had died. They're not authentic Gospels. They're imposters. So they're not 
canon. So it's actually pretty simple how we came up with what's in here. Okay? Now, uh, again, if you got offended by the Catholic thing, those are my brothers and sisters. You didn't hear me out if you're offended by that. Okay? Now, uh, anyone can make up a story. I don't care how many manuscript copies you have. I don't care about your canon, whatever that means. I still think it's made up. And that's fine. You can believe that this was all made up and you can still be my friend. However, I have something to say first. If they made this up, a lot of people who did not agree (laughs) with the religion of these people sure agreed with the things that they wrote. This has for many years in history served as a map. It has been validated by tons of extra-biblical sources. In fact, give me my next one, my extra-biblical authors. Here's a few. I know you might not be able to read it from there. We've got Pliny the Younger, uh, Celsus. I like to say Celsius just because it sounds cool. Um, we've got all of these guys and many more who wrote about things that are completely congruent with the text. Okay? In fact, the life of Jesus is the most well-documented fact in all of antiquity. Basically, anybody that you can't give me an American driver's license with their picture on it and their name and social security and give me their birth certificate, anybody in all of history did not exist if Jesus didn't exist. There is more proof that he existed than any other human in all of antiquity. Now, I will say this. I can go to Vegas and get my son a driver's license that says he's 21 right now. We'll go downtown Ranger and get that if we want to be honest, but we could argue <laughs> that there's more proof that Jesus lived than any other human outside of people that you can stand in touch at this moment. If you throw away Jesus out of history, you have committed academic suicide because he is the most validated historical figure and that's not just from here okay that is in all sorts of extra biblical writings from archaeology from the history of so many places okay so like i told you this is scrutinized by millions of people not just ever every year okay so jesus lived But that doesn't make him the Son of God. That doesn't make him a deity, and that doesn't make me need to worship him. Okay? Just upon the fact that he lived, I'm with you. I believe that. Okay? But the people who wrote this, they sure believed it. So much so that out of The 12 apostles who followed Jesus. Now Judas betrayed him, felt a little bit guilty about it, hung himself. The other 11 
all murdered and would not recant. Now, I would die for a principle. I would die. This is Memorial Day. Many men have died for something that they have believed in, and women. But I'm not going to die for a lie. I will not die for a lie. And they all took it to their grave. Not just the 12 apostles, but someday pick yourself up a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Through history, Christians have been persecuted, martyred, tortured, burned at the stake, beheaded, all sorts of things, given a chance to recount their faith and would not. The apostles all died. They wrote embarrassing things about themselves. Don't you know, I mean, if you're familiar at all with the Gospels, don't you know that Peter was proofreading their letters going, did you have to put that in there? They wrote embarrassing things about themselves. They included confusing passages. And if you'll read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of which are firsthand uh, surveys or eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, they obviously didn't copy one another. Because I think there's only like one story, the feeding of the 5,000, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be, uh, that is in all the Gospels. They all, now a lot of them will double up, and some are in three, but not four. But they obviously were not copying one another. I've got to move on. There's a few things that I'm going to skip. But here's the other thing. If I know that this was written when it said it was written, and if it's not, then I have to throw away everything else you've ever learned in history. Upon any criteria, you throw this out. You throw away everything else that you have learned in history. Ever. So if I know that it was written, when it says it was written, now I can do my homework. Because there are names, there are places, there are events that are all talked about in here. Are they in history? Are they in archaeology? And even more than that, because that still doesn't prove that Jesus was the Son of God. Here's the clincher for me. If this was written when it said it was written, it predicted a lot of things about what would happen in the future. Called prophecy. Did it happen? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. I love talking about this. Okay. Just Jesus, because this is all about Jesus, right? Just Jesus coming, living the life that he lived, doing what he did, should convince you that something is up. Now, well, what, but if you know, but if you already know there's prophecy, then maybe your parents tried to put you into this and you can fulfill them if you already know that they're there. No, not these. Let me, let me give you an example. He was, the Bible said, and this is crazy, that he would be from Nazareth, from Egypt, and from Bethlehem. Now, it doesn't say it exactly like that. I'm oversimplifying this for you, okay? Remember, his parents were on a journey when they had to stop, and he was born in Bethlehem. Then his life was at stake, and he had to go to Egypt, right? From Egypt, he was finally released, but his parents couldn't come back home, so they went to Nazareth, making him from Bethlehem, from Egypt, and from Nazareth, okay? Now, could they have plotted that? It'd be pretty hard. How about, how about the prophecy that babies were going to be murdered? <laughs> I don't think his parents had that one done. 
Because when the king find out, found out about Jesus, he had, uh, he had all kinds of kids murdered, okay? Uh, so there's all of these prophecies, like there would never be a description written about his physical appearance. Like Jesus has no control over what other people write. There was no social media account. He couldn't see where he was tagged. Yet there's no description of his physical appearance. He was, th- these were out of his control. And this is what's interesting to me. The odds of Jesus fulfilling the prophecies. There's over 61 major prophecies about, about Jesus. Now some of them, uh, like Jesus is going to be the Messiah. That's written multiple times, but that's still just one major prophecy. There are 61 major prophecies. And so for a lot of these, we can put mathematical uh, we, we, we can put a calculation on these. For example, what was the estimated population of the world? What was the estimated population of um, Bethlehem? And so we can take those numbers and see what are the odds that somebody is born in Bethlehem. And so uh, 48 of these 61 major prophecies, uh, we've done the odds on this. Again, throwing myself in there as we... Here's the odds that Jesus fulfills 48 of the 61 prophecies. 10 to the 157th power. That's a 1 with 157 zeros behind it. By comparison, the estimated number of electrons in the entire universe is 10 to the 79th. That's one with 79 zeros behind it. Here's my point. There's an absolute mathematic impossibility that Jesus could fulfill 48 of these 61 prophecies. And he fulfilled every single prophecy And it was all written about long before. We know, we know that these things that we have and what we now call the Old Testament were written long before Jesus came. And he came to the right date prophesied by Daniel, in the right place prophesied by Isaiah and many others. (laughs) And he did all of the things that all of them said that he would do beginning in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. When the Bible says that the serpent would bite his heel and he would crush the serpent's head, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He did all of them. Now, back to what we said earlier. But doesn't doesn't what we know, doesn't what we study contradict the Bible? Doesn't science contradict the Bible? Doesn't history contradict the Bible? I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. In fact, I'm going to skip a lot of this because a, a lot of it doesn't matter. If you, if you guys are, are really interested, I have tons of books uh, over at the Grand Building. You know, we have a small library. Everything I put on there is something that I've read myself uh, that, that we could give you. But yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip. I'm going to skip a lot of this, guys. I will point you to something. Could you show, show this book for me? Uh, this is one of the latest books uh, that I read. It's called Is Atheism 
uh, dead. It's broken up into three sections. Uh, the first section is going to be a cosmological argument for, uh, for Christ. Really fascinating uh, because, you know, a lot of people will point to the stars to disprove God, and Christians point to the stars to say, no, he's, he's there. Really fascinating in that first section. The second is probably my favorite section of any book ever, and it is just some of the major archaeological finds that we have found that validate the Bible. And I can't even begin to tell you how many there are. Things that we read about in the Bible. Do you remember uh, when, when the children of Israel marched around the city called Jericho and the walls fell down? All these things. Did you know that there's been a city excavated called Jericho whose walls fell down? And not only fell down, but they fell down from the outside going in. Did you know that we read about King David, First and Second Samuel? Much of the Kings, much of Chronicles is all about those. Well, I'm mostly First and Second Samuel is going to be about the life of David. We have tons of literature over the life of David, and for years uh, we were really prodded because if David was such a great historical figure, why don't we find him? Why don't we find him? Why don't we find him? And no one could find him in archaeology until the 1990s, at which point we've found him multiple times now. How did they know? to write about him if they're making it up. And so if they mention this King David that we don't find until the 1990s that they couldn't have known about, but now we know about him, so we know that it's really old, what did David say? (laughs) He made prophecy too. And guess what? It's already happened. This is not just another book. It has made scientific claims. Did you know that in, in the book of Isaiah, it talks about the sphere of the earth? They didn't know the earth was round. <laughs> it talks about uh, pathways under the sea. I mean, there are all sorts of things that the Bible talks about that men just didn't know at that time. And it is, it is set as all of the things that we have been taught, that we've been educated about, have ebbed and flowed and moved, and the things that my grandfather learned in school are now just ridiculous, and the things that I learned in school are now going to be ridiculous for my grandchildren, and so on and so forth. This has just been the same words the whole time. Scrutinized by millions every year. This is not just a book. This is a library of books that all have the same story that we believe were written supernaturally and have the secrets to this mystery we call life and have the hope for your eternity. Very quickly, I'm going to go to Mark. Because we couldn't open the Bible and talk about words from the Bible if you don't believe in this, right? Mark chapter 9, verse 23. I'm going to read you a quick passage. It's all on the screen. Nobody expected you to be a Bible expert when you walked in here. Mark 9, 23. Uh, I'm sorry, Mark 9. I'm going to start in verse 17. I'm going to read this quickly. I think you'll resonate with this, and then I'm done. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has the spirit that makes him unable to speak. Teacher is Jesus, by the way. Verse 18. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? 
How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Keep that word in mind. For the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I don't know how you come up with a sentence like that. I don't know how you make that statement, but I totally resonate that. Anybody else? Like, listen, I believe, but also I kind of (laughs) don't. Like, I'm with you, except for the parts where I'm not. Help me. I'm in as much as I can be, but I'm weak. I believe you as much as I can believe you, but I'm weak. So as you go on, the boy was healed. And I want the worship team to go ahead and come up. And, and, and Jesus continues to do things like that. And Jesus continues to do things like that for us today. And we have stories about things that we have seen and that we understand. And we believe in the power of our God. But we also have stories about things that have happened. And we've prayed for this to happen. But it didn't happen the way that we prayed for it. And we've got tons of things that we don't understand. And we resonate with this dude. I don't even know his name, but he's like my best friend. God, I understand, but at the same time, I have no clue what you're talking about. You are resonating with me on a supernatural level, and I can't necessarily wrap my mind around it. Father, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's where I ask the question, why did this man go to Jesus in the first place? Because he had a problem that no one else could fix. Church, most of you, if you tell your story about your faith, when you came to faith was when you had a problem that no one else could fix. All right? Yep. Is when I had a problem nobody else could fix, when I needed an answer that nobody had an answer for, I came to Jesus and some of you said, I came and I didn't even necessarily believe in any of this stuff. I just thought it was folklore. I just thought somewhere in this book was a story about a woman who lived in a shoe. I had no idea. But then, Why did this man come to Jesus? Well, because he needed an answer for something that nobody else had an answer to. But why Jesus? There were witch doctors. There were sorcerers. Why Jesus? Because somebody he knew probably had a testimony about what he had done for them. And I'm going to tell you right now that I can tell you all day long that there are facts about this that should blow your mind, that should create worship about you, but I can do no better than stinking 25 people coming up here to honor Dusty saying, this has changed my life. Can I get an amen? Can I get anybody to testify that I really don't care about the facts and the figures? I'm glad that they're there and praise God for it. But this did something to my soul. Anybody testify? I don't know. I don't know all the answers to all of it, but I know that he did something inside of me, and I need you to try it because it's a high like nothing else could produce. Can anybody testify? Somebody needs to stand up right now. I don't know all of the answers, but can somebody say that this had something for me when there was nothing else for me? That Jesus had a word to speak into my life when nobody else could say anything that made any sense. 
And it is your testimony. It is your testimony that is all the proof that you need, that is all the inspiration that somebody around you needs, that this does something for me that nobody and no thing could do. Thank you. God will speak to you supernaturally through this. Hopefully what I gave to you is helpful just to remove a stumbling block. And I'd love to have conversations with you about it. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't like having like, I, I don't want to debate with him. I don't want to argue with anybody. If you don't believe me, that's, dude, man, I love you. We're, we're okay. I love talking about the Bible. I'm not, I'm not afraid of that. So if you come to me with a good attitude, dude, we will talk about this. But this has words that give you the wisdom to carry on when you can't find any other reason to carry on. This has words to dig you out of a hole. And better yet, this has words to keep you out of a hole. This has words for your eternity. This has words that make the meaning of life make a little more sense than anything else that you can find. And so maybe you're here and you're like, dude, I don't know. Somebody just said coffee and donuts and I went and I ended up in this, like, uh, this, this loud conditioner and a guy in a black shirt that's super excited and I, I don't know what's happening right now. Will you try this? We are joining today, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I swear I'm going to shut up. We are joining today with over 2 billion people on this planet that have this in their language. And many of them are reading it, not enough, but many of them are reading it. Many are singing the songs that you're singing, and we are worshiping the same God, reading the same text you know the same Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is giving you wisdom and the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart just like he is somebody in South America, just like he is somebody in Asia, Africa, every other continent, just like he did to somebody 100 years ago, just like he did to somebody 1,500 years ago. The same story is still being used to speak into your life. The same thing is still giving hope to hopeless people giving encouragement to people who need encouragement. Church, we can preach all kinds of topics, all kinds of things. I am your cheerleader. I am sort of a modern-day prophet just to say, hey, this is what the Bible says for you today, and I love talking about those things. But this is a piece of what God will give you when you open His Word. I'm going to tell you this. I didn't plan on saying this. Uh, many of you know that I have some sort of disease, uh, and I don't, I don't really make my own, like, uh, water. Like, my body doesn't distribute water. That's why I always, like, I'm up here with these eye drops right now, uh, because I can't make my own tears, and there's all, other, there's all sorts of things that go along with that. And so my eyes just don't water. So many of you, you have allergies, and you're like, these dang allergies, and I'm like, you shut your mouth and love every tear coming out right now. But... It's not that my eyes don't water, because there is one time that my eyes water. This is true. When I am alone in my office and the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, my eyes water. That is the only time. There is something very supernatural about this that nobody else can give you. You've got to feed yourself. The Father will be with you. No one is responsible for your faith but you. And this is waiting. 
the whole time to speak to you. Lord, I pray that you will speak to your church. I pray that you will fire us up. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will be there. You said that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, Father, and we just we, we need surgery right now. And God, I pray that as we open your word, that you would speak to us, that you would speak through us, Father, and that, that you would just indwell, that you would come in and bring your presence and overwhelm us as we are in your word, Father. I pray that your people will join in, in an ancient, long, uh, just, just, just this great lineage of people who have gone to you and found comfort and found life in your word. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We got one more. We got one more. I have Cassidy who's coming today as I get this very far away. It has been really, really neat just to watch what God has been doing in her life. And uh, she has, hold on, I gotta, this is not for y'all. Yeah, we're whispering secrets. Okay, uh, we have Cassidy and, and she's come. It's been really neat to watch uh, her journey and she's gotten closer to the Lord. And you guys know that I tell you, hey, p- please don't bring me somebody under 10 years old. This is a lifelong, this is a big decision. Like, you need to be a certain age before you get married, right? And this is the symbol of my marriage. Uh, this is the symbol of her marriage to the father. And so uh, she's not taking this as a child. She's been very mature about this decision. And I absolutely love that. So I'm going to ask you in front of your church family, have you accepted Jesus both as Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. Okay. You guys hear that? Uh, family? Friends who are here to support her, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to ask you to go, go ahead and step in. We're going to take it easy. A few knee surgeries later and we don't want to slip, okay? Good job. All right, let's go ahead and move up to the front of this. And we'll sit down. Awesome. Okay. Well, we're so proud of you, and it's my honor to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in death. Raised to walk in the newness of life in Jesus Christ. Awesome. Good job, girl. How about that, huh? Hey, listen, uh, baskets are going to come forward. That's the appropriate place, place for uh, tithe and offering. That's part of the way that we worship. But, uh, but also, if, if you will grab that connection card, we want to walk with you whatever season uh, that you are in. So please put your information in there. Let us know how we can pray for you, how we can be with you. Uh, but other than that, stand and worship with us. <laughs>